Thank you for being here today. It is very kind of you to come. Really windy out, isn't it? My least favorite weather that we have around here. I have just been informed that there is a major, major, major fire going on in the Malibu area. Someone said it really is quite, uh, quite dangerous there. The winds have uh, blustered up to, I don't know, I thought he said, I'm probably going to be wrong on this, about 100 miles an hour. So it was just really, just very treacherous there. Uh, firefighters are, are trying to protect it. Uh, some church and some homes have burnt down already. It's, a, it's kind of a bad situation from what I was just told. And so if you would consider and leave, uh, keep them and that, that area and those people and in your thoughts and your prayers, um, just detest this type, this type of weather. It's the hardest. Um, let's pray right now uh, since we uh, said that. Let's, Father, would you watch over those dear people? And, uh, uh, there are homes there that are being uh, swallowed up by the fires and some that are probably surrounded by it and probably some families that are uh, really concerned about what's going to happen with their lives all of a sudden. I wonder, Father, if you might not use this to draw some people who do not know you to uh, come to trust and believe in you. I pray for the firefighters and those that are, are trying to keep, the, keep it under control of some sorts. Father, would you keep them from harm's way that uh, they rush into places, as Pastor West just mentioned to me, they rush into places where most of us turn and run from, and they go there, Father, to uh, protect us. And so watch over them, please. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer and know that you hear us and that, Father, you would have the best in mind for those people. So we trust um, them to you, that area to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Um, <clears throat> we came to a crossroads in our church a little bit in, in, in the minds of the staff and mine especially. Um, we came to the 20th chapter of the book of Acts and we, we, were, we were looking at the life of Paul and how he was on this missionary journey and He's going to go back to Jerusalem, and he made mention when he was going to go back that he knew the bonds and afflict him, uh, affliction had awaited him, and they were begging him not to go, and he said, hey, what are you doing weeping, breaking my heart? He says, I'm, I'm willing to go back, not even to put into bonds and, and, and go into affliction. He says, I, I'm willing to die if need be for the name of the Lord, and, and the whole thought of that process, the whole thought of Paul and all that's been going on in the book of Acts that I'm hoping that you and I are catching a glimpse of this wonderful book, is what is, it, what is made up of, of the church? Uh, we're seeing some people that are, at least it appears, you know, as we read about them, that are, are extremely devoted. And uh, we, we've kind of come to the mindset of what is, it, what is a New Testament church really supposed to look like? What, here we are, almost four years old. Next month, uh, the ninth is our fourth anniversary of, our, of this church. And, and what are we to look like? Um, how are we to act and react? What is our lives to be like? Well, we've been learning through the book of Acts immediately, as, as it says in Acts chapter 1 and also in a number of other places, that Jesus Christ gave orders to the apostles and how he was to, to set up the church and how everything was supposed to be set up. And he gave them orders. And we're going to see that today, that he specifically said, this is the way the church ought to function. So when Peter gave the message on the day of Pentecost there in the second chapter of the book of Acts when he called people together. They gathered together and what they now were going to find out was going to be called eventually the church. They were all going to be called Christians. And he said, I want you to be, as it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I want you to be continually devoted to the things of God. And you see, our God is a God of order. 
This whole universe is a, a place of order. The church should be a place of order. We should understand and know what God's trying to do with us as a group of believers. When we gather together, we should have a clue of what it is, what's the purpose of our gathering here together. And so God gave to them six traits, six, I would say, orders of what the church is to be like. Number one and foremost is is they are to follow the teaching of the apostles. In other words, the word of God. Then they were to have fellowship with one another. In other words, encourage and lift each other up and really strongly try to build one another up in the Lord. We were also to have communion, breaking of bread, which we're going to have today. And so I'm going to ask you in a moment to kind of prepare your heart this, this, uh, this day after this service that for, for communion, that we can kind of remember what is it that the Lord means to us. Those were the three things, the Word of God, fellowship, prayer, uh, uh, communion. But also the fourth thing was, he said, I want you to be devoted to prayer, that you would pray for one another. That's where the power of God really becomes unleashed, when we, when we pray for one another. And then he mentioned that, that we should be a church that, that, that gives unto the Lord, that, 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 that understands the principle of, of giving to the church as unto the Lord so as to support the, the work of, of the Lord through the, the church. And then sixthly, we are to know how to praise and to worship God. And, and a lot of that begins in the music, but it, it's, 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 it really should permeate our lives. It should be a part of, of who we are. Well... We're going to take a look at those traits in the next few weeks to come, and then we'll go back to chapter 21 again. But I thought it would be important for us to see what is it that we expect of one another within this church so that we might function like a church. As I said, we're about four years old. And last Sunday, for those of you that were at the baptism and those of you that were baptized, it was probably one of the most amazing days in the life of this church. Pastor West called me, uh, as he normally does on a, on a Sunday afterwards, just to see how I am and, and kind of check in and, and tell me what he thought about the message and all of that stuff. And he said, did you sense the Spirit of God upon that baptism? He says it was like, it was like, so, it was like you could cut it with a knife. And it, it felt that way. In one particular time, we're going to show you pictures. Those that, that couldn't come, the best we can do right now is we're going to show you some slides and kind of, Hopefully you'll get the feeling of what took place there. But if you ever get an opportunity or you know who John and Kathy Verhoeven are, and you get an opportunity, would you thank them? Um, thank them for allowing us to come into their backyard, into their homes, and, and into their home, and, and to just kind of make us, they made us feel so at home, and, and we had the baptism there, and it was so nice. Just give them a thanks when you see them. If you think, oh, yeah, you can clap if you want. But. <laughs> so we're uh, families. Uh, moms and dads with their uh, their children, uh, children with their mothers and their fathers. Um, it was um, it was a glorious, glorious time. And um, if, if if ever you can come and we have baptism and you've been baptized already, um, really would appreciate if you would come anyways and uh, just to fill the place that we're going to be with uh, with uh, your spirit of encouragement and and. Uh, Love for the people that are going through what they're going through. Would you turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2, just for the start. And we're going to move to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 shortly thereafter. We're going to just take a look at those two places this, uh, this day. Um, and we'll have communion right afterwards.
As I said to you last week, I want to reiterate because I think it's critical for you and me to understand what we are basing all of our attention towards as far as being a, an Acts 2 type of a church. I said to you last week, if you and I were to take the time to search through the scriptures together, there would probably be one common theme that strikes us over and over again. And it is the idea that God desires for those of us who know him, for those of us who choose to call him our Savior and Lord, he desires for us to be continually devoted to him. It's almost like a prerequisite. It, it, is, a, it is an idea that permeates scripture. Becoming continually devoted is the mark of a true believer. Having people within the, the four walls of a church who are continually devoted is the mark of a true church. There are a lot of churches. We don't want to be just a lot of a church. We want to be a church that is filled with people who are continually devoted to the things of God. To where it becomes a part of your life and my life that we act upon these attitudes as a believer, not just here within these four walls, but that when we leave on, on Sunday night, on Monday morning, and the middle of the week, the end of the week, that we have the attitude of being a people, a person who is continually devoted to the things of God, that it becomes a part of our lives. We said that the apostles were given orders. Their orders were to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to preach the gospel, that Jesus Christ lived, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he is the Messiah. And when they lead them to Christ, they are then to bring those people that they've led to Christ in the confines of the church into maturity as they grow in their faith. Look at Acts chapter 1 again with me, please. We started off by reading very simply this great book of Acts where the writer of Acts said, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he, meaning Jesus Christ, after he had by the Holy Spirit, note, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Look ahead to chapter 10 and remind yourself. We read this verse a few times. Chapter 10, verse 42. Turn with you real quickly. Acts chapter 10. And Peter is speaking and he tells the Gentiles that in verse 42 of chapter 10, he, meaning again Jesus, ordered us to preach to the people to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Their orders began the moment the church took form. They were asking people that came into the church, as, as we saw in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, that they desire the people to be continually devoted to the things of God. Once that happens, then a truly godly church will start to take form. 
And as we're going to see from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, Jesus then gave the apostles these traits or orders that ought to be incorporated within the church and the lives of all believers. Look at Acts chapter 2 and read again with me verses 42 to 47. It says, These 3,000 souls who came to Christ, they were, verse 42, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Verse 46 says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and with sincerity of heart. Verse 47 tells us they were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord himself was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The six traits that the the apostles were to pass along to the members of the church were, verse 42, there was to be the teaching of the apostles. In other words, they were to teach the word of God, which we do. In verse 42, there was fellowship that they were to have with one another of a time of encouraging each other, of lifting each other up, of being there when, when, when each of us are in that time of need, that fellowship with one another. There was, there was to be what we were going to have today, communion, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. That was that time that, that they were to take upon themselves and remember Remember all that Jesus Christ means to them so that the church wouldn't get off kilter and and start being built upon someone else. But no, they would have communion and remember it was Him. It was our Lord who shed His life for us, who rose from the dead so that all of us who trust and believe in Him would be given everlasting life. Verse 42 tells us also we are to be devoted to prayer. The the power of a church comes through the power of prayer. When we reach into the very threshold of the the holy place of God Almighty and, and ask Him to come and bless whatever needs to be done. In verse 45, there was to be a sharing or giving unto the Lord through the church. Some might call it tithing. We are not going to call you to tithe here at this church. We're going to call you to see the purpose in your life to worship God through your giving back to Him a portion, whatever portion it is that you feel comfortable with, giving back to Him a portion that He has given to you. And we're going to teach you how how King David said, who are we? Who are we, King David said, that we should give as, as, as graciously as we do unto the Lord? King David reminded the people, He gave to us, and we just give back to Him. And that's the cycle of giving that it ought to be within the church. And so there is the, the worship of the Word of God. There's a worship of fellowship with one another. There's a worship of communion. There's a worship of prayer. There's a worship of giving. And ultimately, six, there is the worship of sharing or giving unto the Lord through, excuse me, praising God and worshiping the Lord with gladness and with sincerity of heart in verses 46 and verse 47. These are the things that makes up a true God-blessed church. And so we want you to know these traits. We're going to teach them in such a way, hopefully, 
that we'll say it repetitively, that you'll be able to really catch what we mean when we say this is what the Rock Community Church has formulated itself upon. We want to be a church that has these traits that has been given to us through the apostles, passed on from generation to generation to generation to now that we have it. And so that we can then pass it along to our young people so that they too can understand what lies ahead of them as they follow after the Lord and they are continually devoted to Him. Now I would like to ask you to pray. While we pray, would you kind of remind yourself of communion? That we will have communion in a little while. But I also want to take you through the whole idea of being continually devoted and, and how desperately, desperately you and I need one another within a church. And we'll see that amongst so many places. We'll see it in, in Hebrews chapter 10 in a moment. Pray with me, please. Dear, dear Father. You know, if, Lord, it, it's such our privilege to come to you in prayer. And sometimes, dear Father, we, we, uh, we become a little flippant about it, maybe. I don't know. Let us understand the seriousness of, and the wonderful pray, uh, privilege that we have to come before you, the throne of grace, and to ask your blessings. Blessings upon certain needs that, that each person here might have or certain things that they might be praying for or someone they might be praying for. Hear our prayers, dear Father. But may our thoughts be more on what we can give to you rather than what can we get from you. Let us honor you as our Father. Let us give back to you just portions of what you have so blessed us with. Would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds, dear Father, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? May we sense, dear Father, that it is you who is speaking to each of us. Take the, the speaker, please. Move, move him aside, dear Father, so that we might concentrate our hearts and our minds and our thoughts upon you and your word. Would you bless us, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. And Father Moore, may we be a blessing to you in your son's most precious name. Amen. I made it a theme quite a long time ago, not understanding at that time what it means to us as a church today. I said it so many times it probably became boring to you to hear. And I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to say it a few times so that you and I get an understanding. I don't believe the Lord is all that concerned with how you and I came to believe and trust in Him. I don't think that's an issue with our Lord at all. I believe what is an issue with Him is, is how are you and I going to finish this, this walk, this journey we have with Jesus Christ now as our Lord and Savior? What is your dream? What is it that you desire to do unto the Lord with the rest of your remaining days? I said to you last week, and and I don't mean it braggingly, but um, I feel very privileged that I, I, I am content that I know, my, I know my race. I know my course. I know the, 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 the race that God has laid before me. And as of, of this time, I am willing to run in it. I, I am going to run that race. As it says in Hebrews 
chapter 12, the word race is, uh, in the Greek is, is, we get the word agony. It's not a, it's not a just a joyful little sprint. It's, it's a long endurance race that we will run, walking and following and being obedient to our Lord. In this process of how you and I are going to finish this walk that we have with Jesus Christ, to become an Acts 2 church that is filled with Acts 2 believers, which, by the way, is a true mark of a true church, having Acts 2 believers within the framework of the church will build and, and, and establish a, an Acts 2 type of a church. What we are all going to need to do is to concern ourselves with each other's walk, to finish the call, to finish the walk, to finish whatever it is that the Lord God has for you. You and I are going to need one another so that we will encourage each other to be continually devoted to what God has called us to do. You see, God teaches that we desperately need one another. That is why, in, in His wisdom, maybe you've never even thought of it, at least I hadn't before doing all of this, why has God given so many different gifts? Why does God call us His body, the body of believers? Well, the body has all sorts of different parts, you know, fingers and and, and wrists and elbows and shoulders and chest and hips and knees and, and legs. and we, we just have all different parts. And each part works in harmony with each other. And so the Lord calls us a body with different gifts. All of us have different gifts because if we all had the same gift, we wouldn't need, we wouldn't need each other. Why would I need you if I have the same gift that you have? God gives all of us different and various types of gifts so that they all come together and work together as the body fits together so as to equip one another, so as to serve each other, so as to build up the body that is called the church. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'm going to ask you to sooner or later put to memory Ephesians 4.12. The reason we have gifts we are told in Ephesians 4.12, is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Three things helps you remember it, I think. Equipping, work of service, building up the body. You see, we have been gathered together with different gifts so as to equip one another, so as I might help you on your walk, and you might help me in my walk, and we equip one another. And the reason we become equipped is so as to do the work of service. There is a ministry in your life and in my life that God has called us to within the confines of the church to fulfill what God has for you and me. We need to equip one another so we can do the work of service so as to build up the body of Christ, to mature one another. I need you to become more mature in my walk. You need me to become more mature in your walk. Remember what God said to Adam? Remember I said it last week in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 at the very beginning of life. Here's God and Adam walking through the Garden of Eden and God looks at Adam and says, It's not good, Adam, for you to what? It's not good for you to be alone, Adam. Here he is walking arm in arm with God. What more would Adam need? He says, I am going to make you a helper suitable for you. 
Someone who will help complete you as a being. Now, I understand that's talking about husband and wife and, 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 and having children and all that. But also, from the very beginning, God let us know that there is a need of others to help complete us as a person. God, in His wisdom, has made you and me interlinked with one another so that we desperately need each other to help us grow in Christ. Therefore, as we dream to become an Acts 2 church, as we dream of becoming a church full of Acts 2 believers, which is the true mark of a true church, realize that absolutely none of this that we propose to do as a family can happen without each of us becoming a person who is fully or continually devoted to what God has for you as a believer. Until we all use our God-given gifts, we will never be all that God desires for us as a body of believers. You see, God has made it within the family of God that you are desperately needed those of you over there are going to need someone over here someday, and those of you over here are going to need someone over there, or maybe in the Saturday evening service, or maybe in the first service, but we are going to need one another. And so we need to become a people who are continually devoted to the things of God so that we can help equip one another, so that we can help each other in the work of service, so that we can become built up as the body of Christ. Once this takes place, once we all become continually devoted to our Lord, once we become continually devoted to our Lord, then a true godly church begins to emerge and lives will then begin to change. I'm not talking about a changed life. Oh, I, I used to be this, now I'm a Christian. No, no, I'm talking about someone whose life becomes changed to a degree that it isn't that they are a Christian, it is that they the fact that they just live a Christian life. It isn't that they have to think of what they're to do. It is a part of their lives that they do what they have to do just because they know and love the Lord. It becomes a part of us. And that happens within the confines of the church as we build each other up, as we equip one another, as we help each other grow in our faith. Now I want you to turn with me as we prepare our hearts for communion to the book of Hebrews. And we, you don't need to stay here in Acts anymore. Just turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to close our service in this great place. And what you're going to see is just how the Word of God fits itself together. Look what the writer of the book of Hebrews says concerning our needing one another, concerning uh, who we are in Christ. The writer says in verse 19 of the 10th, chapters of, 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through His flesh. And since, verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22 tells us, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of our faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us, it says in verse 23, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, be continually devoted. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. Your faith is, is, is entrenched in not how faithful you are. 
Your faith and my faith, our eternity is entrenched because of how faithful our God is, not us. And so what he has promised, he is faithful. Then he says in verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. In other words, we see again the desperate need we have for each other. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Where do we encourage one another? Where we assemble again, when we assemble together here at the church. Not forsaking this time, this opportunity to be with one another so as to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, so as to encourage one another. Note what it says at the end of verse 25. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The primary basis on on which you and I can draw near to God in faith is through the blood of Jesus Christ. As you prepare your heart for communion, it is because that our Lord decided to go to the cross to shed His blood for you and me that we have any hope at all. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I have the forgiveness of our sins. That's God's plan, not mankind's plan. That's not religious. That is, that is the truth of what God says he would do for mankind on this earth. We have been given orders to tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring us the forgiveness of our sins through faith in him. And it is his blood, it is the blood of Jesus Christ that allows us to enter into the holy place. As it says there in verse 19, the, uh, entering the holy place, that, that was the tabernacle, that was the temple. That place represented God's special present, presence to the, the people of Israel. And only the high priest in the Old Testament days could enter there and only once a year. But through the the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, you and I now, it is said, has the confidence to enter daily into this holy place, into God's very presence. You don't need... You don't need anyone else to take you right to God so that He might hear you in prayer. Sometimes it troubles me that someone will come to another person that they think is holier than them or closer to God than them and pray for me, would you please, because I believe God hears your prayers. Oh, God hears all of our prayers. We can come to Him in confidence because of what He has done for us on the cross, because of the blood that He has shed for you and me. If you know Him, if if we know Him as our Lord and as our Savior, we can confidently go into His presence and ask Him anything we so desire. And it says in verse 22, we should have this sincerity. Draw near with a sincere heart. The word sincere in Greek is A-L-E-T-H-I-N-O-S. It means genuine when we go to God, we should go to Him genuinely. It means without hypocrisy or, or, or with no ulterior motive. In other words, to come to Christ with a commitment that is genuine. Draw near, it says in verse 22, with a sincere heart, full assurance of your faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
You see, in the Old Testament, the priests were continually washing themselves with water or blood of an animal as a sign of cleansing. But all the cleansing that the priests did at that time, whether it was with water or with blood, was only external. But Jesus Christ says now, through Jesus, you and I can cleanse our hearts internally. Look at verse 22. We can sprinkle our hearts clean. What more can you ask for? If there is sin in your life, in 1 John 1, 9, we are said, if, if you and I confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you don't have to go to anyone to ask Him for the forgiveness of your sin. You just need to go to Him with the full assurance that He hears you, with a sincere heart, genuine, and ask Him for the forgiveness of your sin. And He takes you and He cleanses you and makes you as white as snow. In other words, He takes you and gives you the righteousness of God so that you can be as clean as you ever could be. So as verses 23, 24, and 25 tell us, it says in verse 23, let's hold... Oh, for those who are the ushers, would you please do me a favor right now and go and start passing out communion, please? While they're passing it out, it might be a little bit of an interruption, but I'm going to keep on talking through the rest of this, which is only, we only have about a few more minutes to go. But I want us to all have communion at the same time, and I want us to move from this message right into communion if we could. And so they're going to come and pass communion just, you know, just quietly, take the communion and, and uh, go on. Now, let's talk and let's think. It says in verse 23... Now, I know you've got two things going on, but kind of hang in here with me and listen. It says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The word hold fast is, it has the meaning of a continual point of action. In other words, as I say to you, we can search through Scripture all we want, and we're going to come to one common thought over and over and over again. And that is that the Lord God wants His people to be continually devoted to Him. And so he says, hold fast, verse 23, hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering. Don't waver because He who promised is faithful. In other words, the promises that God has given you, eternal life, does not rest in your hands. It doesn't rest in your being good enough. It has been taken care of by Jesus Christ at the cross when He shed His blood. He then, those of us who have trusted in Him, He has given you and me everlasting life. That promise is His promise, not our promise. And so, go to Him without wavering, holding fast to your confession because He who promised you what He is going to give you is faithful. Your faith is not about your faithfulness. Your faith rests in His faithfulness. And so He says in verse 24, then consider how you and I are to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Over and over and over again, the Bible says we need each other. You and I desperately need the body of Christ so that we can stimulate each other to love and to good deeds. 
And how do we stimulate each other to love and to good deeds? Simply, verse 25, don't forsake your assembling together as is the habit of some. In other words, the writer is saying, look, there are some people that haphazardly come to church. They don't make it their compassion. They don't make it a continual devotion. They come when they can. Too windy today? Let's not go. You know what? If I go, my hair is going to look terrible by the time I get there. Everyone's going to see that my do doesn't. (laughs) I just made that up. Thanks. Don't miss our gathering together because you and I need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and you don't know what day you are needed within the family of God. So for the grace of God, don't miss church. Make it a priority in your life. Why? So that we can, at the end of verse 25 says, so that we can encourage one another. We need one another. So as to... Hang in there so as to hold fast our confession. So as we're not wavering, we need to stimulate each other to good deeds and to love. And we need to encourage one another. And all the more as, the, as we see the day drawing near. How do we do all of this? By being a part of God's church. By understanding what church truly is and what church truly is not. Let me tell you, with all the sincerity of my heart, church is a lot less than most people make it out to be. It's very simple. It's a continual devotion. That's hard. That's a commitment of your will. Nobody can make you do it. Nobody can make you continually devoted. That's something you've got to do on your own. Someone asked me the other day, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. There's a guy I'm kind of discipling, kind of meeting with. I love him. I love him like he would be my own brother. He asked, he asked me, he says, why do you think most athletes are so prideful and so um, kind, of, um, kind of off on their own type of thing? And I, I don't know. I thought about it for a while, and I said, well, I said, because to get to the level that you played, he was a major league uh, athlete. I said, to get to that level, it takes commitment. To get to the level that you played in takes commitment. It meant you had to say no to a lot of things your friends did because you were always out there practicing, playing. And you almost became selfish with that time. And, 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 it, and it, it was something that drove you and you just didn't miss it, did you? And he said, no, I was there all the time. And then I said to him, which I said to plenty of athletes, it's, it's difficult to be a good athlete and not be a little prideful because it's, it, it's part of the territory. It's part of it. You, you've got to think you're at least, well, I guess, Dave, I guess you've never played against anyone you didn't think you were better at. I mean, I know you, you came across people, you know, like when I faced, I remember I faced a pitcher that was just so overpowering. It was just, it was kind of scared me a little bit, you know. Anyways, but you always thought you can do it. You always had that sense of pride. Um, I bring that up because I said to him, to be good at anything, to desire to be excellent, it takes a commitment. And I looked him in the eyes and I said, nobody made you, did they? You did it your own, didn't you? He said, yeah, I did. And I said, so is it with your walk with Jesus Christ. Nobody 
Nobody, listen now, nobody can make you excellent. But nobody can stop you. And the beauty of it is, is that God doesn't ask you and me to be all pros. He doesn't ask us to be the best. He just asks us to be the best that we can be. He'll take whatever it is that we have and he'll make it excellent. And so as you think about being committed to the Lord, it is a commitment that you've got to make. We can't make it for you. But I'm going to try with all my heart to encourage you to be continually devoted to God because the more you become continually devoted to God, the better I'm going to be. We'll just make each other better. I am committed to you. I love you with all my heart. I want you to grow. I want us to become the people that God has called us to be. And so when you take a look at this bread and you think of it, remember, remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Remember that it is His faithfulness, not yours, that has given you eternal life. And when you take and eat of this bread, remembrance, do it in remembrance of what He has done for you and think about the commitment that He made to go to the cross for you and how much a commitment do you want to give to Him? Take the bread. Shortly after our Lord gave the the apostles, the disciples, bread. He had some wine there, and he, he said, this is my blood. Basically, he's saying, this is the new covenant that I've given to you. He says, whenever you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. And again, remembering our Lord. Remembering that, that he took his blood upon the cross, shed his blood so that you and I would never have to worry about our sin keeping us from him Ever again. Doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with our sin and confess it. What it means is that he has taken all the responsibility upon his shoulders for your eternal destiny. Hold fast to your confession of hope. Because he who promised, he who promised you eternal life is faithful. He'll bring it to pass. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to thank you. Thank you that you, you've made it pretty clear, Father, what it is to be a church. It's not brain surgery, Father. What it is is commitment. It's a group of people committed to the things of God. And, Father, you have allowed us to know what those things are. So we don't have to do a lot of jumping through hoops we just have to study your word so we grow. We have to have fellowship with each other so that we can encourage a person who is down and needs encouragement. We need communion so we can remember often, Father, what you've done for us and how much you mean to us. We need to pray, dear Father, so that we sense your power within our lives. We need to give back to you, Lord, a portion of what you've given to us so that the the church can flourish. And we need to praise you. We need to worship your holy righteous name through music, through instruments, through songs, through a lifestyle. Lord, thank you for everybody here. Please, dear Father, 
allow them to know just how much I care and love for them. I pray your blessings upon each of us, Father. May we stimulate each other to love and to good deeds. May we encourage one another to be continually devoted to you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. It's going to be our theme for the next few weeks. I love you from the bottom of my heart. Have a great day. Be careful out there. It really, really is bad. I love you a lot. Have a great day. has found its way into the church. It has found its way into the church. And, and people say things like, uh, here you're going to see how intimately linked all these isms are. It's not important what they believe. I need to make sure that what I believe is what I believe. Well, the problem with that is those who went before us were believing this. So you've got to, we should believe the same thing they're believing. This is our standard of truth. Notice what Paul says in verse, the end of verse 6. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That's the scriptures for Paul. What is written is the scriptures. Here's our truth. Here's our standard. And as long as 